When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. This is episode 66 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there. Welcome back. Have you ever embarked on a dry month? Or are you thinking to yourself, heck no, no way, never going to happen. How about just a dry week? One thing I love about minimalism is that we all find it via different paths. Motherhood brought me to minimalism. I say that an awful lot on this show. But my guest this week found minimalism through sobriety. Now, my guest this week is Kim Miller. And she's on the show today to tell us what she has gained by minimizing alcohol from her life. Kim and I today explore the idea that clutter really isn't just physical stuff, but it's old ideas and habits that don't serve us. And it's anything that really takes us out of the moment and away from our best selves. Now, the purpose of this episode is not to coax you into never drinking again. If you follow me on Instagram, you know all about my love affair with red wine. (laughs) Instead, this episode suggests that taking a break from alcohol or taking a break from any habit that's not serving you is a powerful tool when seeking to live a life of intention. Let's get right into it. Enjoy the interview. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? Good, good. And thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. This is a pleasure. And we are going to talk about sort of a, I don't want to even say a taboo topic, but I do want to mention the topic as you can't win in terms of being a podcast host. Uh, There's going to be People on one end who are emailing me after this episode saying, oh, great episode. And then there's going to be the same amount of people emailing me being unhappy. Uh, So we're going to talk about drinking and being sober, especially how it relates to being a mom. And we'll get there. But first, I want to know who you are, what you do, and how you got into blogging. Yeah. um, So my name is uh, Kim Miller, and I run a website called Sober in Vegas. And I'm an artist and a writer. And in a previous life for a long time, I was a theater maker. And I started a website in my hometown of Las Vegas, dedicated to kind of mindful, simple, alcohol-free living. um, When I after I decided to take a break from drinking and it was something that stuck and I just 
I wanted to kind of connect with other people that were maybe in that same position. So I created a website to sort of reach out into the world and see who else was out there and working through those same things. We've been chatting through email for about two weeks. So for about two weeks, I decided I was going to not drink and see what the experience was like for me in snowy New England right now. And I must say it wasn't easy. So I have to know, how is it for you living in Sin City sober? Um, you know, I actually, I so I started my sobriety journey w- in December in Chicago. So I really, really feel you in terms of those long, long snowy weeks where you can't get outside and it's so depressing because you haven't seen sunlight in days. So I feel you there. And um, two weeks is amazing. And I'm curious to know how you feel as well. Um, so I want to hear that at the end of this answer, um, kind of what your, what your feelings were and your thoughts were. Because for me, deciding to stop drinking actually was an experiment. Like I never went into stopping drinking being like, I'll never have another drink again. I ended up in December of 2014, when I was still living in Chicago, deciding to do what's called a dry month, where you just take a month off of drinking. And I I wanted to see how I felt. And I had, I tried to do that over the years a lot of different times. And there'd always been an excuse for me to have a drink. So I actually hadn't really ever done a dry month since I'd started drinking when I was probably, I don't know, in my early 20s, late, like maybe 20, 19, 20. So I had done this dry month when I was back living in Chicago. And I'd gone on this vacation at the end of the dry month in January to visit my family out in Las Vegas. And it felt so good to be in the sun. It was amazing. I continued kind of not drinking because I realized that physically and emotionally, I was just feeling a lot better. And when I came back from that trip and I flew home to Chicago, I was laid off from Uh, what at that time was my dream job, a job that I'd been working towards for over a decade. So I'd I'd gotten back from this trip. My position had been eliminated. And kind of the old me prior to this dry month, honestly, I would have gone on a, a binge, like a huge binge drinking sort of, woe is me, this is terrible. And it would have been, it would have been kind of terrible. Um, And instead, since I'd done at that point, I think like five weeks, six weeks without drinking, I said, you know what, I just, I am in an emotionally really vulnerable position right now. I think I have to keep with this non-drinking thing. And for the next like six or eight months, I kind of moderated my drinking. Maybe I'd have one beer a month or one drink a month, but it ended up taking up so much mental space for me, thinking about like, when am I going to have that drink? Like, when am I going to have my one drink of the month? That I said, you know what, I think it's easier to just not drink because again, like just physically, I felt a lot better. My sleep was better. I was emotionally better equipped to deal with this huge life transition that my husband and I were undergoing where we were moving back to Las Vegas. I was trying to find a new job. I was kind of just trying to rebuild my entire identity. But yeah, that's that's kind of the nutshell of my story of how I stopped drinking and living in Las Vegas 
you know, I thought it would be really hard, but because you have to drive here, um, that's one thing that makes it easier is, you know, wanting to obviously be responsible and, and not drinking and being behind the wheel. And the other thing is that there's so much to do in Las Vegas that's away from the strip that I kind of hadn't remembered, even though I'd grown up here when I came back as an adult that wasn't spending my time drinking, I remembered that there was so much more to do, especially with the outdoors. So that's been my experience here, but I'm curious to hear how your two weeks were and kind of what that felt like. Well, I'll be honest, they were not easy. And, you know, so I had this interview on my calendar. So I naturally wanted to have a dry two-ish week. But I did just naturally pay more attention to the drinking culture around motherhood specifically. And it's always been everywhere, but I was more attuned to it. And it, it's actually everywhere. It's in the memes my mom, friends, and acquaintances post on social media. It's on advertisements that are just kind of targeted directly to me. I'll give an example even. Like uh, there was a peach Bellini ad I saw and it was it had a pink font and it was like in a slenderized bottle and it was just totally marketed towards women. And if I didn't have this interview on the calendar, I don't know if I would have been looking at these examples with such a critical eye. But it's more than that. It was in, you know, I had to say no to a few social events because the social events were going out for a drink with fellow friends. And so, you know, I'll be honest, it was not easy, but I wanted to have you on the show because I really wanted to talk about and really explore the connection between sobriety and slow and intentional living. And I'm wondering for you in your life, how are those two concepts connected? Yeah, um, I totally hear you with it being hard to navigate social situations without alcohol. It's, you know, it's crazy. I didn't, I had never examined, you know, how much of our social interactions include alcohol, obviously, until I started like trying to do like dry months and things. And I remember at the time kind of making excuses and thinking like, well, you know, in the arts, of course, there's always going to be alcohol around. But the more that I talk with other people who've decided to either cut back their drinking or cut their cut drinking out of their lives altogether, the more I kind of hear people say that whatever industry they worked in included alcohol. So I think that it was interesting for me to rebuild my friendships without alcohol. I realized, I think kind of like what I was saying earlier, that I had to rebuild my whole identity. Um, most of my friends, a lot of the activities that we did is we'd get together and we'd go to a bar or we'd make dinner and drink, have a drink. And it was kind of a fun experiment to reach out to friends and say, hey, would you want to go to a museum this afternoon? And it was like, oh, well, why don't we just meet up later for drinks and saying, well, actually, would you rather go out, you know, at a different time of day or not go out for drinks. In the beginning, it was difficult. And I felt uh, like I had to apologize for it in some way. But I came to realize that 
most people, and especially the people that I was truly close with and that really were my friends, didn't care where they saw me or when they saw me or how they saw me. They just wanted to see me. So if I was willing to to set the terms and reach out to them and say, would you like to meet up for a cup of coffee? How about we go for a morning walk? Could I meet you in your neighborhood and we have lunch together? It gave me a whole new dimension to a lot of my friendships and things that I hadn't done with people without drinking in years. And then once we moved back to Las Vegas and the outdoors was a really big option. Obviously, I know in January, February, March and the East Coast, it's much harder <laughs> to do things outside. Um, but one nice thing about Las Vegas is almost year round, you can do something outdoors. And that's become something that I really lean on. Um, and in terms of kind of slow and intentional living, something I've realized is that my friendships have become a lot more intentional. And to be totally honest and to be really um, almost vulnerable, a lot of times after I would see friends when I when we'd gone out drinking, I would wake up at 2 a.m. and I would feel maybe embarrassed about something that I'd said or, you know, wake up thinking, gosh, like, I can't really remember what I said about this. And it would create, I personally had a lot of anxiety around those interactions with my friends. And now what's nice is I feel like I don't worry about what I've said because I know what I've said. And if there is something that maybe I need to follow up with a friend about, I know exactly what it was and when I said it and how I said it versus kind of that that middle of the night wake up guilty, like, oh, crap, did I say something offensive? Kind of not remembering. So in some ways, it's it's deepened my friendships and it's really it's brought me closer to a lot of people as well. I totally resonate with that answer because I think what you're essentially saying is that alcohol takes us out of the moment, so to speak, and that drinking is the absolute opposite of intentional soul living. And it makes us second guess ourselves and what we said in a way that really just creates unnecessary anxiety. It's anxiety and stress that you don't need to have. I wonder what the drinking, especially drinking mom culture, is telling our children. Is it telling them that we can't handle being around them without wine? Is it telling them that that they're a burden that we need to escape from? What are your thoughts on that? I have a 14-month-old, and I stopped drinking before I had her. But kind of what you were saying in the past two weeks about um, when everything becomes really magnified, because you've got kind of a like an ear to the ground about it. I think the mom drinking culture I see very differently now that I have my own daughter. And I think, again, I don't want to make anyone feel like if they don't have a problem with alcohol, that they're doing something bad by having a glass of wine at the end of the day. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. What I do have a problem with is this idea that the shortcut to relaxing is alcohol or that the shortcut to fixing 
depression and overwhelm and mental health issues is alcohol. And I think with the mom culture stuff too, it's worth noting that women's consumption consumption of alcohol has risen dramatically in the past 10 years. And at least from the online women that I've seen being very vulnerable about their struggles, whether it's uh, folks who identify as alcoholics or folks like me who identify as gray area drinkers, there's a lot of women that I do think struggle with their relationship with alcohol. And I wish it was as easy as here's a glass of wine, you know, everything's fixed. But any of us who are parents know that it's so much more complicated than that. And like there is with any product that promises this is the fix, I think sometimes alcohol tries to capitalize on our vulnerability as parents to say like, this will make it better when at least for me, I know that that that's not the case. (laughs) Mm. No, I think you've just hit the nail on the head, which is alcohol is a product. And in a lot of cases, there's a marketing plan in place to entice us to think that this product as consumers will fix X, Y, and Z problems. I think you really you really nailed it there. But I'm wondering, what have you gained by choosing not to drink? Well, I can first of all say I saved a lot of money. <laughs> and I, I actually was shocked by the amount of money that I saved because it's it isn't just one thing. It's sort of a ripple effect and a snowball effect, not only just buying alcohol to have around the house, which you know we really don't do anymore. We don't have alcohol in our house. Um, but at dinner, if we do happen to go out to eat, it's much cheaper without drinks. And I also found that when I would drink, for me, that was like, the gateway to making little purchases that I didn't need, whether it was, you know, I'll have two glasses of wine. um, And this was when I lived in Chicago and I'll walk down to the thrift store and I'll buy, you know, 40 bucks worth of stuff, or I'll have, you know, a couple beers and then get on my laptop and let me check and see what I can get online. And I think sometimes I would drink to give myself the permission to buy things that I knew I didn't really need. and. That has been huge. So gaining back kind of control of my finances. And I've also gained a much healthier mental and emotional health. Like my mental and emotional health is much better than it was five or six years ago. I used to suffer from panic attacks pretty often, usually once a month, sometimes more than once a month uh, for about a decade. Um, And when I stopped drinking, I'm not going to say that every single problem in my life magically went away because, you know, you're still you. Um, (laughs) I'm still me. But it gave me the clarity to finally seek professional help for some of those mental and emotional health issues. And it gave me a new perspective, sort of. I think I had, when I'd initially reached out to you, I'd talked about how sobriety was strangely my gateway to minimalism because once I 
sort of done a dry month and then a dry six months and then a dry year, the idea of doing something else sort of countercultural wasn't that out of the realm of possibility. So when my husband and I moved back to Las Vegas, we'd moved in with my mom um, and we saved for about two years for a down payment for a house. And once we finally got into our house, I started unpacking everything we had packed up for years and looking through it and being like, why did I save all of this? And I started just kind of Googling things about like simplifying and getting rid of sentimental items. And I found a number of websites about minimalism. And because I'd already been on this journey of sobriety and kind of connecting with these smaller moments in my life and really appreciating uh, the simplicity that we'd carved out over the past two years, the idea of paring down our belongings didn't seem that crazy to me. So I would say that sobriety also gave me just a much more open mind and a much more open heart. I love that answer. And I must ask you, for listeners who are interested in perhaps cutting back on the amount they drink, but are absolutely not interested in sobriety as a lifetime change, do you think those listeners could also receive benefit? And if so, how? I mean, I think that if if someone listening is curious about like what it feels like to to like you did, you know, do two weeks without drinking. Um, I think that they, they should try it. And there's a lot of really cool resources for people that are looking to just do a dry month. A lot of the dry January, um, and then there's now a movement called Sober October, these kind of one month capsules um, in the year, I think allow people to reset. I mean, we all of us, I think, on some level really look forward to January 1st because it's a time where we can say, okay, I'm going to reset. I'm going to reprioritize. I'm going to get excited about this next coming year. And if you're looking for a way to kind of reevaluate what's important to you, I do think that a dry month can be really, really helpful. Um, I've had a number of friends who have done a dry month and said, that was awesome. I feel great. It's kind of helped me reset my brain, reset my body, and, you know, continued with their life, not necessarily in a sober way, but definitely a little bit more mindful about when they consume alcohol. And I've had some friends that have done a dry month and said, I feel really good. Like, I want to continue this. Um, So I feel like if, if you're curious, I don't think that's a shameful thing. I don't think that it means there's anything, you know, wrong with you. I don't think it means that you're going to suddenly everyone's going to think that you're crazy. You know, a lot of people take a night off drinking. Maybe they're the designated driver. Um, For many of us ladies who've become mothers, we take many months off of drinking. So, um, yeah, if folks are curious, I mean, my feeling is like, what could it hurt? And if you do it and you hate it, you know, there's nothing that says you can't go back to what you were doing before, which is the nice thing about experimenting with different, different things like that, like a dry month. Where can listeners find more of you and more of your journey online? 
Yeah. So um, my website is soberinvegas.com. And um, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm just at Sober in Vegas. Kim, thank you so much for taking your time and coming on the show. I so appreciate your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. There you have it. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Kim Miller. If Kim inspired you to try a dry month or even a dry week, I would love to hear how it's going for you. On next week's episode, we are talking about zero-waste handbag essentials. I will see you then. Take care. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.